Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in scripture and our lives. In Jesus Unmasked, we believe that Jesus would wear a mask during the time of COVID, and so should everyone. Yet in this podcast, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses that obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear, that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and we use the Common Lectionary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jesus Unmasked. Lindsay, wear a mask. I will. You okay. too, Adam. Wear a I mask. I will wear a mask. When you're outside, wear a mask. Jesus would wear a mask. But this show is called Jesus Unmasked because we are unmasking Jesus from all of the cultural violence and stuff that we have projected upon him. And we're going to unmask him and exactly. show you the real Jesus. So we've got some folks watching on uh, the, the Raven Foundation page and the Clackamas United Church of Christ Facebook page. And this is our weekly Bible study. So if you would like to participate in this Bible study, we want it to be really interactive. So you can make comments uh, over in the comment section and Lindsay and I will try to bring you in to the conversation. Yes. Welcome, everyone. We are so glad you are here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lindsay in, and I are colleagues over at the Raven Foundation. And uh, we started doing a Bible study called Jesus Unmasked about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was before COVID. And obviously, if COVID was around, we would not have called it Jesus Unmasked. Right. <laughs> right. We would not have done that because, yes, because Jesus would wear a mask because Jesus loves everyone and wants everyone to be healthy. Um, but we are unmasking Jesus from the worst of our human projections oh. that we thrust upon him. Brilliant. I love that. Let's do that. So uh, each week, Lindsay and I are going to go over uh, the scripture passage that's um, from the New Revised Common Lectionary, which the lectionary is uh, this kind of large calendar document that tells pastors, preachers, what to preach on, which I, you don't have to go by the lectionary, but I do, because if I didn't, I would just do nice, fluffy, hey, let's just love one another and we'll all get along passages. Uh, and so the lectionary forces us to deal with difficult passages, often violent passages. And this is one of the big questions that we have to ask as progressive Christians is how do you deal with violent passages, not just in the Bible, but in the Gospels too. Mm -hmm. And today we have one of the most difficult parables, difficult passages uh, when it comes to this. So Carol, hi. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, so Lindsay, do you have any thoughts on the buildup to uh, reading this passage before I read it? Um, well, it picks up where we left off last week, and we were talking about authority. And um, so Jesus was Jesus was um, 
just kicking some money changers out of the temple recently when this when this um actually he rode a donkey into Jerusalem when this uh, chapter of Matthew began. And that in itself is subversive, that he's coming in on a donkey and not a war horse. Um, of course, the scriptures foretold that he would come in on a donkey, but um, it's... But this, it's is, this is subversive because that's what the king would do. The king would come mm -hmm. in during Passover on a donkey. And in fact, uh, Roman uh, generals and emperors would come in riding on a war horse. And here's Jesus doing the subversive act saying, don't look to those kings. Don't look to the emperors. That's not where you're going to find God. You're going to find God in the humble one who is riding a, door, uh, a donkey. So this is like a politically subversive. Yeah. There's a loaded political message in this for mm -hmm. Jesus's day. And you may have right. noticed for our day too. Right. It, yeah. The, the foal of a donkey. So you have to, it, it's, it's a young baby donkey, basically. It, it says that. So you have to realize he would be taller if he were walking, most likely. Um, right. So so he's actually lowering himself even more. And uh, then he kicked some money changers out of a temple and overturned a system of sacrifice. And he didn't just tear things down. He also built things up. He was healing people. Um, he was healing people. And people came up to him, some chief priests and Pharisees, and said, what gives you the right to do this? And we talked about exactly what gives Jesus the right to do this. Um, so we're continuing on the theme of authority and the difference between what we consider authoritative as, as humans. And when I say as humans, I'm Jesus is the fully human one, so... I'm kind of talking about our our less desirable human instincts when I when I say that. Um, what do we think of as authoritative? We think of often who can wield the most power and uh, in the form of control, making people do what they want, um, which often takes the form of violence. And so, uh, yeah, so. Jesus is drawing a contrast between that and the authority of heaven or the authority of God. So that's the context. And Adam, um, you can add to that or just take it away. I'll just take it away. That's right. what I'll do. And friends, uh, we've got some people watching. So if you have comments or questions about this passage, feel free to put those in the comment section and we will bring those up. So again, this is like uh, one of the more troubling parables that Jesus tells us. So this brings up a lot of questions for me. So if you have questions, feel free to put them in. So this is Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Jesus tells this parable to some uh, chief priests and uh, Pharisees. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, 
they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyards comes, what will he do to those tenants? Jesus asked them. And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. Uh, that's the end of that fun story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there are a few things that I want to talk about right off the bat in this story is that this is one of the passages that Christians throughout history have used in a very anti-Semitic way. Uh, and you, we cannot read it that way. Uh, Christians, it's a sin. It's a Christian. This is one of the biggest Christian sins that we have had, uh, is the anti-Semitic reading of anything, <laughs> but especially of the new Testament, uh, itself. So when Jesus, uh, says that the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to someone else, he is not talking about Jews. He's not talking about Judaism in general. Who is he telling this parable to? He's telling it to certain authorities. Certain authorities. He's mm -hmm. telling and not it, even all the authorities. Certain authorities. Brilliant. Yes, mm -hmm. he's telling it to certain particular Pharisees and uh, priests who have come to Jesus accusing him of doing bad things accusing him of uh, part of the accusation is, as Lindsay said earlier, is that he went to the temple and he had his protest, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus goes to the temple. He tries to shake things up because he knows that the temple has become corrupt. And so he's trying to show people what the corruption of what uh, the religious, economic, and political authorities have become for his day. And so when Jesus says, this is going to be taken away from you, he's not saying it to Jews. He's not saying it to Judaism. He's saying it to religious authorities who are caught up in the corrupt system. Uh, and so that's, that's what this is about. Yeah. And I want to, um, I want to just cut in here and say that um, I've just started reading this fabulous book by Amy Jill Levine, who um, some of you might know as just a brilliant, um, a brilliant scholar. She's a professor at, at Vanderbilt and she is uh, Jewish and she is, she has a book out there called um, Short Stories by Jesus. And it explains or it, it 
it dissects a lot of parables. And I just want to say, uh, this one is not in there, so I did not get a chance to read her brilliant commentary on this particular parable. But um, I have known that anti-Semitism is a Christian sin, but you don't know what you don't know. And there's a lot that I still have to learn about Judaism. And it's, I mean, it would be arrogant for me not to admit that because there, there's just a lot that I don't know. Um, and um, so it, it could be very easy to fall into something and not see yourself as being anti-Semitic, but not know how your reading of it has played into anti-Semitic interpretations. So, um, so I just want to say, we, we really can't stress enough um, how we should not read this as, um, as being against Judaism or being against Israel. And uh, there are some much, much better interpretations out there. And we should also, you know, we do read it in light of the, we do read in light of the cross as Christians, but we have to also try to understand what this um, means to Jesus's original audience before the cross and that it does have a meaning to them too. So I wanted to stress all of that. And uh, um, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to stress that it, I, I'm still learning and I just encourage everyone else um, who wants to interpret parables to just keep learning about, about Judaism from from well, positive sources. Yeah, and I think one of the important ways of doing this is to recognize that Jesus, when he is doing this, he is fully within his Jewish prophetic context. It's the prophets who also speak words that about the temple have become corrupt, like Jeremiah. Jesus is quoting Jeremiah when he goes to the temple. Uh, when Jesus is saying all of these parables about how the Pharisees and the chief priests have become corrupt, he's doing he's he's basically uh, doing what the prophets before him had done. So this isn't a, a Jesus good uh, Hebrew Bible bad. This is prophets good. Jesus in line with the prophets to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Jesus is fully formed by his own Jewish roots in all of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, just a couple yeah. comments in here. Uh, it, yes. Uh, Anti-Semitism goes way back uh, at fourth, fifth century. Um, this whole idea of, you know, one of the allegorical reading is often uh, uh Judaism is uh, the old thing, Christianity, the new thing, and uh, we're going to be the new thing and let the old thing die out. Um, Amy Jill Levine has all of these great ways of reading scripture, and there's a depth of, of knowledge and all of that. And so thank God for our Jewish friends who help us to read uh, the New Testament uh, in new and exciting ways, too. Uh, one of the questions... Yeah. One of the questions that I have for this parable is that we often think that the landowner is God. But the landowner comes in, hires folks, and then leaves. This is not really a great God figure, is it? Like, we always think that God is present 
with us. So is the landowner in this parable supposed to be God? Um, no. <laughs> I'll just say that. No, the landowner is not supposed to be God. And um, I think getting caught up in the idea that the landowner is God is um, something we should look into about ourselves. I think we need to check our... You know, why why do we want to think that? I think we need to ask ourselves those questions because um it kind of it kind of seems like it would be. You've got an authority figure and um you've got you've got a a vineyard which which does represent Israel. I mean it that's that's um in the same lectionary um on the same day uh one of the options is to read Isaiah which tells a very similar story, um, except for the ending. And um, so so why do we want to think this about God? I think that the answers that the chief priests and Pharisees give um, kind of says something about their idea of authority and maybe even ultimate authority. So... So what is so when Jesus says, uh, "What do you think the landowner will do to those who killed the uh, the workers and the uh, the son who came, it, the uh, rat, the um, chief priests and the Pharisees say uh, he will put those wretches to a miserable death." Is that the answer that you mean? Yeah, I yeah, that answer. Um that shows what they think an authority would or probably should do. And um to be somewhat fair, those tenants are wicked as we as we've been reading. They've been they've been horrible. They have been absolutely awful. They have killed the servants and they've killed the son. Um and it seems reasonable to assume that most authorities would do exactly that. They would put those wretches to a miserable death. Um, this is a theology of revenge that the priests and the Pharisees have in this passage. So they, as you've been saying, uh, have this view of authority where authority is going to primarily get revenge on those who uh, hurt or um, hurt their friends or their or their enemies. This is all about revenge, uh, getting payback for it, which is very odd because Jesus tells these stories, these parables, uh, and Jesus also has clear teachings. Some of his most clearest teachings are love your neighbor, who includes even your enemy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it's important in these parables to know who is speaking and who isn't speaking. So mm -hmm. Jesus, when, when the uh, Pharisees uh, and the chief priests say this, that God is going to get revenge on them or the landowner is going to get revenge on them. And the landowner is the God figure. Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't say that. Right. To be fair though, or to complicate things, um, Jesus doesn't say that in Matthew, but Jesus is the one who says it in Mark and Luke, which um, 
which just goes to show that Jesus has not been talking about God this whole time. Right. Jesus is setting up a contrast between um, between this landowner and and God. But you know, the Pharisees who assume that God will be vengeful um, probably believe in the authority of vengeance or the authority of violence. And that to me is why they should not have the kind of authority that they have in the kingdom, the kingdom taken away from them. Um, I don't think it means you're damned to hell for all eternity. I just think it means you can't be in charge anymore because you don't know the God that you are serving. Because, um, because in the kingdom of God, which is not someplace you go to after you die, not primarily about that. Jesus is always, when he talks about the kingdom of God, talking about the here and now. What What is, how do you live your life now? And in the realm of God, Jesus is saying, uh, who does have authority? It's the one who has been rejected. It's mm -hmm. the cornerstone that has been rejected. So who should have authority in the kingdom of God? It's not people like me who are the uh, religious authority, who are pastors. <laughs> the true authority comes from those who are on the margins. The true authority comes from those for whom the religious elite have frequently scapegoated or marginalized or cast out. This is where you get last week when Jesus says uh, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven before the Pharisees and the chief priests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so this is, and, and why, why do they know that? Why, why are they the ones who are able to lead the way in? Because they know what it's like to be rejected. And from that rejection, they can lead the way into empathy, into loving your neighbor as you love yourself, even those who have been called your, you call your enemies, because they know what it's like to be called an enemy. Right. And they can lead us into the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus flips our whole understanding of God inside out. Because we all have always thought the authority was the one who was the most powerful, the one who can get revenge. But here in this parable, we see that the authority is the one who is rejected. And ultimately, the ultimate parable is the cross, where we see that Jesus is rejected, not by God, but by human beings, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By, the, by the political and religious elite uh, who thrust him up on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's just about everything. Um, my dog is adding his own commentary. Okay. I, uh, well, we've got, uh, uh, we've got great connections here in the, um, in the chat section. Courtney says, uh, the Mormons, and I know that Courtney has a, um, strong relationship with our Mormon siblings. Uh, Courtney says the Mormons didn't let black people hold office in their church up until 1978. And I think this is, this is, uh, part of, and Courtney says that's always like a, a white supremacy issue. Uh, and, um, this is, you know, Mormons have, been 
had to deal with that in 1978 and we're still dealing with white supremacy uh, today, um, no matter where you are in the United States, having to deal with that. I mean, we even have uh, 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 the debates last night and we have a president who refuses to uh, denounce white supremacists, uh, even saying, I don't know who they are. And then saying, stand back and stand by, stand by for what? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this is like, this is, this is dangerous stuff that we are dealing with here in the United States. And it's a white supremacy that we've had to deal with from the very beginning. Um, And there it is right in front of our face for everybody to see. Um, Yeah, that was, that was a very sad, very sad moment last night. Um, And unfortunately not as surprising as, or at all, but um, yeah, but that is um, a kind of authority of over-againstness and authority of, of violence and authority of fear. Um, and it was very, very, very blatant. Yeah. Um, there are less blatant or less um, blatant to us examples of that. Uh, but we do live in a nation that uh, spends more on weapons than, than well-being of people. So, so it, um, not trying to draw any false equivalencies, but anytime we see that kind of ruling by authority of fear, that is always an invitation to check where that kind of authority rules in our own lives, not just over us as in we are you know how how does it rule in our minds how do we um how do we still believe in using fear using violence um in order to get our way and uh so it's always an invitation for us to do that so and it it doesn't mean we shouldn't um denounce it when we see it but it's always an invitation for us to think about um you know how how we are how we should be different from that and um what kind of fruit we're producing um jesus says that he's going to lease the um or the kingdom will be given. It doesn't say lease. Um, so we're we're out of the realm of this is just a temporary thing. We're we're um it's going to be given, it's going to be inherited, it's going to be, you know, the eternal kingdom, the eternal life. Um what are the fruits of that? How do we bear those fruits? And Adam was talking about empathy. Um also action that leads to compassion and sharing um you know um i have to say that it's so important that we realize that jesus is speaking only to particular authorities because the authority of the jewish law was supposed to um bear fruit like giving food to the stranger welcoming the um welcoming the alien as one of your own it was supposed to bear that kind of fruit and so if the authorities who are questioning jesus about what gives him the right to heal the lame on the sabbath or 
or um, overturn an oppressive economic system in the temple. They're the ones asking him, you know, what kind of authority do you have? And Jesus is telling them what kind of authority he has. And when he gives these parables, when he asks them to remember scripture, he says, how do you read? So he asks them, how do you interpret the law? And what he's saying is there is a way to do a better job of interpreting what has already been there. So it's not an overturning of Judaism. It's not a supersession. Um, that's a very mimetic, rivalristic, and frankly, violent kind of interpretation if you think that to think that um, Christianity must supersede Judaism. Um, it's not about that. The a better reading, a better understanding of God has been there all along. Jesus just, um, Jesus just, you know, clarifies it evermore. Yep, absolutely. And uh, Courtney says Jesus might have been rejected, but he was perfected through it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and Courtney says everyone has good and bad in them. Absolutely. I think that's. Um, I think that's one of the keys uh, in having this conversation. So thank you for that, Courtney. And Aubrey uh, says this, Lindsay, I'd like to know your thoughts on this. Aubrey says, so what is the good news in this? Where is the word of hope or wholeness? I mean, I think it's in the fact that when Jesus says, I, I think it's in the fact that Jesus sort of corrects the Pharisees who interpret God or interpret ultimate authority as violence. When they say he will put those wretches to a miserable death, Jesus says, have you not heard the stone the builders rejected will become the chief cornerstone? And that has been interpreted like you've rejected the sun and so the sun is going to fall violently on you. But Jesus is actually talking about a much better kind of authority and, um, um, you know, a much kinder, you know, he's talking about how the authority of forgiveness um, is the authority of mercy. The authority of love is the true authority. And um, people are going to stumble on that. That is going to trip people up. That is going to be hard. Um and if we're wondering, so what is going to make those tenants respect the prophets and, you know, the servants and the son? Well, what's going to make them respect it is basically loving, loving, um, we call it loving mimesis, but letting love beget love. Instead of, instead of authorities interpreting things as, you've done wrong, you must be punished. Let, let the authority of love bring out the best in us and that will bring out the best in others. And I think that's that Jesus is saying the ultimate authority isn't vengeance. I think there's a lot of hope in that, um, but it takes so much time. It takes so much time and um, it can be scary when it doesn't feel like we have enough time. But if we have eternal life, we have all the time in the universe. So there's that. Yeah, <laughs> I hope yeah. that's help. I hope that's hopeful. <laughs> I think there's also a sense in this passage where um, it you we have the option to give a our 
out the authority over to someone else. And um, maybe that's one of the decisions that that we can make. Like sometimes we decide, we might decide to give somebody too much authority in our lives. And you can just take that back. I think of it uh, in this way, like there's a certain political figure uh, out there right now. We've already talked about him. And sometimes we give him too much attention, maybe. Sometimes, sometimes even the attention that we give to this person who's toxic, who's, I mean, this could be a president, this could be a another person in our lives, and this could be a parent uh, or a friend or um, anyone in our lives, a boss. And sometimes you can give that person too much attention and thus give them too much authority in your life. And so sometimes the best thing might be to just put up big 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 boundaries between you and this other person so that they don't have that authority in right. our lives. Sometimes the best thing we can do is as Jesus says shake the dust off of our feet and move on from this relationship because this person has some kind of authority in our lives and that authority that they have over us is toxic. So how can we just not give them that authority and walk away. Mm -hmm. good right. If they're ruling with um, a hand of fear and a hand of violence, the more we play into that, the more we give that authority in our lives. Um, but none of this is to say we need to ignore what is very problematic. But I think that the way we... Um, I think if we turn our authority to the people who are most vulnerable, if, if we give authority to the people who are most vulnerable and listen to them more than people who, even more than people who seek to harm them, let's, let's listen directly to the people who are affected. Um, that gives, that gives people who Jesus gives authority to. Jesus gives authority to the vulnerable, to the marginalized, to the people who are hurting, to the victims of war, to the um, to those on the other side of white supremacy. Jesus gives them authority. So if we listen to them and we build our lives and our actions around what it does to... Um, to help, you know, yeah. then I think really that um, that takes back some of the authority and it it keeps us from focusing on an enemy um, because if we focus on an enemy, there could be lots of other enemies too. And if we don't give the, you know, um, but ultimately if we, if we keep the focus on, when I say love, I mean active love. I'm not, I'm not just talking about a feeling. Um, ultimately that takes the power away from those who would use it for fear. And it, it ultimately takes away the power of fear. It ultimately says fear is a worthless power. If you want power, convert your, your ways of violence to ways of love, because you're not getting anywhere with, with a message of fear and violence. So it can, it can help transform enemies. That's ultimately what Jesus, what Jesus does. Awesome. Amen to that. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Adam.
And thank you everyone for watching and for participating. We will be back next Wednesday at five o'clock central, three o'clock Pacific uh, here on these channels. And you can also check us out on iTunes and um, anywhere else you get your podcasts. So check out Jesus Unmasked there. So until next week, uh, peace be with you, friends. Peace be with you. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies, because Jesus calls us to love them too.